Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again to Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone. Every Friday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm Rich Hallstrom. We have another exciting show for you today. If you'd like to know how to become a champion, you have tuned into the right show today as we have a former Husky football player, Richard Thomas, as our guest. And my co-host, Zeke Bambolo, is once again right by my side. Zeke, good morning. How are you? I am doing great, but I've got to check. You said Husky. Are we talking about a Connecticut Husky here? I mean, I want to make uh, sure that we're. <laughs> no, we, no, we have the purple and gold variety with us this morning. And, uh, uh yeah, we've got, we have to make that uh, distinction, uh, very apparent to all of our listeners all around the world. This is the, uh, former University of Washington Husky fullback Richard Thomas is our guest this morning. And he has, a very, very inspiring story, both on and off the field. And he's going to show us some characteristics and some ideas how we can become a champion this morning in that our own exactly. uh, sphere of influence in our own world that should be pretty amazing when we get right down to it, Zeke. That's exactly, that's exactly what we desire. Every week we come on this show, we want to give people all the motivation and the reasons they need to live uh, a, a life, not of the superficial self-improvement conversations, but let's really understand the deep-rooted reasons, the God-given reasons, the reasons that transcend our individuality as to why we want to be better people. So looking forward to hearing Richard Thomas and seeing what he has to share. I'm pretty sure he's going to touch my heart a lot. I haven't known the man deeply myself, but I'm look, I'm, I'm excited just by look, no looking, looking at the, the show notes to see and hear uh, what he has to offer for us to our guests this morning as well, audience, excuse me, this morning. Yes, we're going to check out uh, Richard's life story, uh, both on and off the field, and as Many Husky fans uh, listening to the show right now will remember he was part of what's called the Whammy in Miami in the early 90s as the Washington Huskies helped defeat the Miami Hurricanes on the Hurricanes' own home field, ending the Hurricanes' 58-game winning streak. And he has some very interesting stories related to that monumental upset on the gridiron and i think he's even going to talk a little bit about uh some interactions that he personally had with one ray lewis at that time (laughs) so uh, we may be in for some fascinating in the huddle stories this morning uh mixed in with becoming a champion because as we all know zeke uh becoming a champion means being a champion in all areas of life, like you spoke about earlier. So we're going to be in for a great treat this morning, once again, as we have uh, Richard Thomas with us. And i got to ask you, before we get into it, uh, Zeke, when I talk about and mention the phrase, becoming a champion, what comes to mind for you? When it comes to and let's say that again, please. I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I skipped there a little bit. When you become when it, repeat your question, please. Um, when it when I talk about uh, becoming a champion, what comes to mind for you? Oh, well, um, for me personally, I I start to look back at. Uh, the process, the, the the transformation, and and that that must go on within the the person to understand the the capacity, I guess, if I can call it that, and the magnitude of what the life of a champion looks like. And a lot of people at times will minimize and, and think that uh, because someone says, I, I can almost look at it from this. People always want to say, I'm a warrior, but they fear deeply 
and will resist deeply going through the war to become a warrior. And it's the same context that I take with uh, champions. So it, it, it's a it's a it's a confirmation. It's a transformation. It takes a lot to dig down deep to understand what is necessary, and then execute on what is necessary to become a champion. And so it's it's a process for me that really uh, that really transforms transforms us as we become champions. And one person that does know it does take a process and it does take time to become a champion is overcome obstacles both on and off the playing field. As a member of the University of Washington football team, he triumphed over dyslexia to earn a college degree. And that accomplishment led to great accomplishments on the gridiron where he helped the Huskies win three consecutive Pac-10 titles in addition to an earth-shattering upset of the Miami Hurricanes, ending their 58-game winning streak. Today, Richard is an inspirational speaker currently developing leaders to empower people to overcome obstacles and reach their full potential. His new company is called Coaching the Champion and is being birthed out of years of motivating, inspiring, and equipping people in a variety of different situations. And we welcome Richard Thomas to Motivation with a Purpose this morning. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm wonderful, Rich. How about yourself? Doing very, very well. I want to introduce you to my co-host, Zeke Bambolo. But let's get Don't right into it, Richard. Hey, Richard. And and I gotta ask this: uh, saying that you know how to overcome adversity and have been through adversity is an understatement. Because growing up in LA, you had a lot of challenges at the very, very beginning of life. Tell us about them. Well, I certainly didn't begin my life uh, with a silver spoon in my mouth, or from a perspective of, of high privilege. But what I did have the opportunity to do was start life with a phenomenal mother and uh, someone that birthed me into a situation where I knew that every day was going to be a fight, but that I'd have the love and the support around me that it would take to get through that fight and uh, feel very blessed and very fortunate with that. I think that all success starts with family core. And, uh, you know, growing up in L.A., my, my environment was an ideal but the seed inside of me was ideal, and uh, that seed can grow anywhere if you uh, you give it an opportunity. So, very excited to uh, be on the show today. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And one of the events early in your life that kind of propelled you toward where we are today happened at the uh, L.A. Coliseum. One game, Washington, game Washington versus USC. Uh, talk about that a little bit, because uh, there were some words said, let's put it that way, that uh, I say really inspired you. Tell me about it. Um, well, as a young man, I assume you were talking about when I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. As a young man, my dad and I were not extremely close. He was an extremely hardworking man. Um, he worked two jobs at a time, and as did my mother many, many, many uh, seasons of our life, just to make sure that they were in a position to provide the very, very best for their family. Um, but my dad's an old Alabama guy and, and uh, grew up in the South. And so uh, developing relationship with, with his kids was a learn process. Um, and uh, one day my dad came home, and he and I had not spent a whole lot of time together. Um, as a matter of fact, when... Uh, when I first moved to L.A., he was uh, actually in a, in a uh, Mexican prison, so it was a little bit of a process in developing a relationship. But he came home one day from uh, driving taxi, which is what he did in, in Los Angeles, which is a, uh, a very dangerous endeavor, to say the least. And he came home and said, son, I'm going to take you to a football game today. And, and I was absolutely shocked. You know, we uh, we had never really hung out in the less gone to a football game. And so he, uh, I remember it as clear as day. Um, walking towards the Coliseum, my dad holding my hand, cotton candy in one hand, and half of it stuck in my Afro puff. And I remember as a kid thinking, man, this is the very first time. How, how cool is this? I'm holding my dad's hand. And uh, he was holding me for the purpose of me not getting lost in the crowd. But I could remember the impact of that connection and how much it meant to me. And I remember walking up the steps of the Coliseum and looking at my dad and saying, Dad, someday I'm going to be a Trojan. And uh, 
my dad absolutely breaking my heart by looking at me and saying, there's no way that you're going to be a Trojan someday. See, uh, Rich, at that point in my life, I had been born with broken legs, and doctors had told my parents that I'd never walk, never run, never certainly play sports. And so me walking the, up the steps of the Coliseum with my dad telling him that I would do that seemed a little far-fetched to him. But as we entered the Coliseum, um, the crowd was going crazy, and I, uh, I told him three or four times, no, Dad, I'm going to be a Trojan someday. And then this team in all white with a little bit of purple trim came out, and I think the the uh, Trojans kicked off to them, and they took it back like 97 yards. And play later, they were in the end zone. And, you know, I'm like, Dad, I'm going to be a Trojan someday. And, and uh, he kept laughing at me. And, and uh, eventually the score, I think at halftime, was like, you know, 20 to – three this team in white and purple and by the end of the game that team in white and purple um beat the the trojans and beat them pretty bad and and i remember looking at my dad and saying dad tell me what that team in white and purple is and uh he of course said the university of washington and i said dad you're right there's no way i'm gonna be a trojan someday i'm gonna be a husky and uh that's what kind of propelled the vision into action uh, you know, I, I, I'm one to spend a lot of time. Uh, I don't know if you are or not, but uh, I spend a lot of time talking about family legacy, especially for you. And you're talking about your time with your father, and it brings a lot of memories back to me as well, um, especially from the context in my life. I talk a lot about the firstborn son concept, not wow. to give a, le- a level of favoritism, but it's a, it's a manner of understanding the transfer of legacy. And you talk about your parents being very extremely hardworking to give you all the best life they could and being a taxi driver and doing – I mean, so give us in a nutshell, if you can, that you just explain a moment of, uh, of, of, of togetherness where you spend that time with your father. That wasn't a common thing. But as you look at the legacy that they transferred over to you and that you talk about it, the, the, the way you encounter difficulties and adversities in your life, even today, how would you say that has impacted you in terms of the legacy that you think you're taking forward? Well, I, I, I would say that the connection between a father and a son, uh, the father and his children, is, is probably the most impactful relationship that a young man or a young woman will ever have. And uh, to this day, you know, my dad and I, particularly my mom and I, you know, you grow older and gray hair starts popping out. But it is extremely important to me, even to this day, to make them proud. And I think that the tragedy in America today is that you know, there's so many broken homes and so many broken relationships that that isn't the priority anymore. You know, I think that we can be driven out of a lot of things. We can be motivated out of pain. We can be motivated out of desperation. But to have that opportunity to leave a legacy out of love is really the, the most powerful legacy that we can leave. And I, I talk a lot about being an MVP, being the most valuable player. Um, but I think that that really comes out of your mission, your values, and your priorities. And, you know, it's not school teachers, and, and God love them. It's not politicians, and God love them. It's not even pastors, and God love them. It's really the father and the mother that impart that seed of legacy that really can make us the most valuable people we can. And it comes out of that mission. It comes out of that vision. And it comes out of that prioritizing your life on what's really important, a faith family and uh, your friendship first and foremost. And then you come into finances. And uh, everything else that falls in the line as a result of that. But it's really the value of that relationship with your father that can position you or not position you for life success. So what what would you say then? You know, I mean, you just give us, give us a very good, uh, I mean, some good visuals to connect there. And even the, the societal connections, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, a teacher or a pastor or what have you. But as you, you know, with what you, you, you're talking to us today and giving us a good idea of what who Richard Thomas is and what you've come from and where you are right now with handling adversities, what would you say is the top maybe one or two things that you feel you must pass on to your children if there are some specific things? And I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I feel like you can handle this. Now, I would say that, that without question, the number one thing you got to pass on to your kids is what are you on planet Earth for? What is your mission? What's your assignment? Out of that, you develop your vision, and out of that, you begin to prioritize your life. I think that so many people are, are a myth in the world today because they fail to prioritize their daily decisions. Well, it's very difficult to prioritize your daily decisions if you have no vision. And the only way that you can really birth a strong, enduring vision is out of your mission statement. So for us, for instance, you know, it's meant so much to us 
unfortunately had an aneurysm in July. And even as we speak now, my, my soul is torn because I want to be at her bedside um, if she is, is recovering and, and uh, all those things. But we established long ago our mission is this. Um, and my kids, any one of them can repeat it to you in the middle of their sleep. Is we are one and our love never fails. And really, we establish that not because we won't fail, not because we won't stumble, not because we won't have good days and bad days, but because we are one. And in our success, we are one. In our failures, we are one. And through all that, our love never fails. So that gives us a very clear vision on how we're to live our lives. We don't live it um, independently. We live it as a collective unit. And uh, we know that every decision we make is going to affect those around us. And that helps us prioritize our life and, and get to the projects that are really important, which is affecting people. Richard, how do you go about developing, and this question just popped into my mind, you mentioned something about we are one. How do you go about developing that mindset more specifically? Because I think there are a lot of people this morning who identify with what you just talked about with your family and what you're going through with your with your wife and your kids as a team, but they don't really know how to make that step. Let's develop that concept that we can be one as a team. Give me some practical steps on how our listeners can go about doing that for themselves. Well, I think that as we analyze it in our family and on any team I've ever been on is really we've become a society that's motivated by the trophy. And really it's not the trophy that matters. It's the, it's the process of getting that trophy that really endures. And so when we talk about we are one, we recognize that it's in the daily decisions. It's in the uh, daily sweat and the daily grind. And it is a lost art form in America, which really made, in my mind, us the greatest country in the world. It's work ethic. And the reason it's so important is not, not just because it produces great things, but it produces great people. When you work hard, when you go through the struggle, what happens on the inside of you is a determination that you'll never give up, you'll never quit, you'll never draw back, and you'll just keep moving forward. And I think that that is the, uh, the missing or one of the missing elements in understanding the concept of oneness in your family is that, you know, we're so busy only recognizing and only celebrating the graduation, only celebrating the A on the test, only celebrating the uh, the great moments in our life. Well, really, those are just the outcome of our, our daily decisions. And so you become one not because I invite you to a banquet and you celebrate with me, yeah, yeah, yeah. You become one with me because you go through the fire with me and you go through the fight with me, and you embrace that. And really, I think that that is, the most important thing about family um, or success is how do we embrace each other's fight and how do we embrace each other in our struggles. And that's it. every team I've ever been on, that's what's made us great. It's not showing up on Saturday or showing up on Sunday. It's uh, really what did you do Monday in film room? What did you do Tuesday when everybody else wanted to quit at 106s? Did you, uh, did you encourage the guy next to you or did you go say, hey, coach, I need to get out of conditioning. I need to retake my ankle. And that's really what I think makes us one, is that bleeding and fighting and struggling together and not giving up on each other, particularly in those moments. More with Richard Thomas on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Ladies and gentlemen, again, welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose on TalkZone.com. Today, our guest is Richard Thomas, and uh, we have been talking to Richard here about some incredible life stories that he is sharing with us and that are shaping up to be extremely wonderful motivations and Richard I want to take the conversation a little bit uh, you I think you may, you may have mentioned a little bit early on about your about the, the, the dyslexia I guess is what you mentioned tell us a little bit about the developmental process and the, some of the challenges that we've you faced with that uh, that uh, uh, illness well 
you know, the uh, it definitely is a uh, is a uh, bear to overcome. I'll tell you, anybody that struggled with uh, a learning disability or dyslexia or anything of the sort can uh, really relate to that because it uh, it definitely puts you in the daily grind where you're fighting. Um, you know, I was uh, one of the only kids I ever met who uh, flunked kindergarten. And I don't know exactly how you flunk kindergarten, man. You know, color inside the lines or, wow. or what happens. But, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the teacher definitely recognized two things. One was a... Uh, a learning disability of some sort or, or something that was dysfunctional in the way that I was processing it, number one. And number two, found someone that was very rebellious, you know, someone that was rising up and causing chaos in class every single day. And, uh, you know, that was really birthed out of my internal struggle, not being able to figure it out. So I, I tried to deviate to, uh, to lessen the pain and cause pain for other people because I was hurting so bad. And, you know, that's, that's really how I first began to look at dyslexia. Man, I can't read. I can't function as a good student. I'm a hide. And I think that that's really one of the, uh, the processes that people can go through when they struggle is they can isolate themselves and uh, they can really lock themselves into, man, I'm never going to get this. I'm never going to overcome this. This is going to beat me up for the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, I struggled with it all the way through elementary, all the way through junior high school into high school where really my gifts kept making room for me. You know, the the, uh, the more pain I felt, the more rage I released on the football field, which ended up equating to a uh, to a successful story on the field, but academically I really struggled. Well, finally, when the University of Washington took a chance on me, and I thank God almost every day for that, that opportunity, um, I got into a learning situation where I couldn't fake it anymore, and uh, I couldn't hide anymore. I had to face it, and when I faced it, I realized that it, like any other challenge in your life or any other obstacle in your life, could be overcome if you took it discipline day by discipline day by discipline day by discipline day. I tell everybody that, you know, success is simple. It's just boring. And uh, most people don't get through the boring process of doing the rogue and the methodical to get to successful because they're too busy trying to uh, be superstars from day one. And uh, for me, overcoming dyslexia was that process of, of uh, trying to hide it, finally having it exposed, and then really saying, you know what, I'm going to fight every day until I get this thing handled. Richard, I got a follow-up question about the dyslexia. What was the, what was it like the very first time that you really felt like you had begin to conquer it? That very first day when you began it, to conquer it, what did what did that feel like? What thoughts were going through your mind you know it was life-changing i was uh downstairs it was probably about 5 45 in the morning i had to get up every morning for early study hall and and i was really at the university of washington when it when i really broke through it began to break through it and i was downstairs gertrude peoples was there and and uh, another counselor by the name of rob and you know they uh, they just kept walking me through the process which was painful um, and when when I first felt the kind of the the transition of me understanding what was going on and and how to put the pieces together in my mind, it was a, a very emotional moment. I remember actually even kind of crying and having to get up from the table and go dismiss myself um, because when you when you go through that pain, you become very invested. And I talk a lot about becoming instant hot. You know, a lot of people have a, a cold and a hot faucet in their house. Well. My favorite kind of faucet is the one you hit, and it's it's the say go, the 180 degrees. And uh, you know, I de- definitely developed an instant hot that moment when uh, I realized, man, you know what, I got this, and I'm I'm not going to let anything overcome me in this academic area. It's still emotional to me today. Well, Richard, I may and I'm, I might ask you to help us dive a little deeper into some of the realities of dyslexia as you're describing. Because I think I have a story I want to share about a young man that I that I think will motivate a lot of people as well. But but help us a little bit. I don't want you to to lose that track. That you, I mean, give us some of the insights of the day to day of what that dyslexia looked like for you, especially at a collegiate level as an athlete and everything. Well, I mean. It, it, for me, it taps into everything from reading to, you know, what play, what direction the book, the playbook goes, you know. So 
you know, for me, I always became a very hands-on learner, even a, mem- a memorization learner, based on the fact that, you know, I was in a struggle when it came time for you to show me a picture or an image and for me to try to duplicate it. You know, I'd go right when everybody else was going left. And so, you know, it was uh, it was very awkward. It, it made me uh, socially displaced a lot. Um, you know, as a, uh, as a young man growing up with dyslexia, broken leg, these metal braces on my leg, I, you know, I can't really remember a day that um, people around me didn't provoke me to tears or provoke me to a fight or provoke some kind of an, a raw emotion in me that, uh, that was very difficult for me to process. Um, so it, it definitely is, is something like that in your life. Um, you know, similar to what I'm going through with my wife now and, and our family now can definitely rock you to your core, but it's all about faith and it's all about driving out unbelief and believing in yourself and believing in the process and the system of this is doable, comparable. If I take it um, play by play, step by step, I can I can overcome this. Yeah, Richard, yeah. tell us more about the uh, more about the believing in your the believing in yourself. Um, there's a lot of people who talk about who talk about believing in yourself, but I think you're taking a different tact with it uh, than a lot of people might see on the surface. Uh, tell tell us more about that. Well, I think there's a lot of gurus out there, a lot of a lot of people that would tell you, "Hey, it's all about self, self, self." Well, I uh, I do believe in a very positive, healthy self-image, but I think that the most powerful thing that you can have is a relationship with with your Father God, and uh, how you develop that belief system is all about trusting that you're loved enough for for God Himself to love you, and or herself, however you see that process developing in your life and uh, for me that that shifted me to my core that you know my belief system is not just in my own abilities but it's that I have divine help I have divine leadership and he's given me great mentors in my life that you know I, I knew that if I was going to become successful I'd have to great gain wisdom and oftentimes that that wisdom would come through men and women that were pointed to my life that all I had to do was embrace and go through the painful process of learning from them and that belief would mature and develop. And it, and it, and it is a very repetitive thing. You know, you, uh, I remember as a kid, um, we were playing a game that we weren't supposed to win. And one of my coaches walked up to me and I probably spent 30 minutes in the window, eyeball to eyeball with nobody but myself. And, uh, the coach walked up to me and said, Richard, the game isn't in the mirror. The game is out on the field, and, and uh, I, I still remember to this day looking at him and saying, "Coach, that's where you're wrong. The game has already been played in my mind, and uh, I've gotten coaching. I've gone through the steps. Now I'm ready to win." And uh, I believe that belief process can really be matured the longer you meditate on the right thing. Richard, I, I want to. I mean, you you touched on some very good stuff here, and I don't want people to just kind of roll over it, but. Um uh, uh, there was a young man in my life in the same situation of the dyslexia and more that you're talking about. And one of the things that he was dealing with that was even more difficult for him is that he watched his father literally overdose in, in front of him on drugs. And so he lost his father. And yeah. you know, this, with the, the, the dyslexia and that pain of losing his father became so difficult for him to handle. And you described earlier where you became kind of the, and it wasn't like you were completely dumb socially. You were the cl- class clown. So you, you had wits to do, that, that you use a lot of times to distract or to remove that attention of deficiency from yourself and right. use other things in the class, right? And so he did some of the same things. Um, but here's where I'm going with this. That was, it, the, the, for him, the conversion, because he didn't even graduate from our program in our high school when we had to go through the GED thing, and he's still going through some stuff with college right now. But my point is, he is a much more trans- transformed young man, even in his, in his dating life. And the fact that he knows where he's come from, from not having a father and a family that was ready together, and that before he even dates a girl or decides that he's going to marry her, he, we've been talking about books that he wants to read and things to really transform his own life. But the key for him, Richard, and I think you mentioned a little bit of, and I don't want people to, to ever uh, forget that, is that community was such a big thing for this young man. 
when we brought him into the, the limelight of seeing, you know, the healthy family around him and what that looks like. And the fact that even though someone around us in the program are saying, look, get rid of this kid. He would never, he would never score an F in class. I mean, he couldn't. He was hard for him to score an F, you know, in special ed classes and things like that. Right. But the young man that he is today, when, if he walked in front of you and you saw even the way he was he used to dress back then, the way he dresses now, the transformation for him and it like him on so much in the midst of community when people embraced him and brought that that family type spirit and say, you know what, you can even move into our home. We will love you and, and cherish you. What was that like for you? Because you mentioned a little bit of that, but talk to us about community in the midst of dealing with those adversities. Well, I, I think that, you know, obviously we talk about family and how crucial that is in the early development of a young man and woman. But really community and, and friendships become so, so important. You know, when you look at friends that are willing to endure and willing to fight and willing to go through the fire with you, you know, teammates who say, you know what, I'm not going to give up on him. Um, he's got the heart of a champion. He's got the heart of a lion. And I'm going to instill everything I've got into him. Um, it can make all the difference in the world. You know, you look at two twins, and uh, both of them have the same father. Um, the one father, the father is the, uh, the consistent alcoholic, comes home every day and is drunk, and every day is, is beating up on the kids. And the one son becomes an alcoholic in the future and says, you know, what did you expect from me? My dad was an alcoholic. And the other son, same same kid, you know, just a, a twin, um, perfect life, becomes a lawyer, um, educates other people. And he says, well, what did you expect from me? My dad was an alcoholic. So they're definitely family is a huge jumpstart, but for both of those kids, it's the decisions they made based on the friendships that they had. And when I first moved from the inner city of Los Angeles to Kent, Washington, Kent was a very different place than it is today. You know, I think that, you know, when I lived in Los Angeles, there was none by, but minorities around me, you know, African Americans and Hispanics and, and, uh, people from Africa and Japan, um, not very many white people. I think they were too busy getting out of town on the freeway. But um, when I moved to Kent, the only thing black in my neighborhood was a black angus cow. And I remember going to school my very first day and seeing the biggest seventh grader you've ever seen in your life. His name ended up being Ernie Conwell standing in the door. He looked like Captain America. I thought I saw a neon sign over his, over his head that says, you know, Captain White America. And uh, as I walked up and my mom dropped me off for my first day of school, his dad is getting out of a, a truck, and, uh, you know, he's wearing um, overalls and no shirt and work boots and has grease on, on his arms from his fingertips to his elbows. And I remember looking at my mom and saying, Mom, I'm going to die today. You move me to the capital of the Ku Klux Klan and, you know, walking up to Ernie, who became my best friend, and just that home emotional place where I didn't know how I'd fit in. You know, here I am, a, a street kid, and here he is never listen to anything but country music. And uh, yet we ended up finding a way to connect based on something we both loved, which was football. And uh, this guy that I once thought dad was the, the, uh, the grandmaster of the Ku Klux Klan ended up being like a second family to me. And, uh, you know, that relationship and that encouragement we shared with each other, never give up, keep fighting, find a way, um, ended up helping me become the champion I am today. Richard, what I hear in your answers today is another word that comes to mind called adaptability. Because when you opened up to Ernie and cre started to create a relationship with him, you adapted to the new environment that you were in. How important is it for us to adapt to our surroundings instead of letting our surroundings dictate to us? I think that that's huge. I mean, any any running back on the planet is going to tell you that you better be able to go with the ebb and the flow of the game. And I think that if you're going to keep moving forward, you have to be adaptable. I think that that's, that's one of the best words of the day is, is, is certainly you have to be able to adapt. and You have to be able to make adjustments. And I think that one of the keys to that is, is number one, being transparent with, with God, saying, God, there's some areas in my life that I need fixed. Number two, being um, transparent with yourself and being honest with yourself that there's going to be areas where you're deficient. There's going to be areas in your life where you're lacking. Uh, you're going to have areas in your life where you feel like you're a failure. And then number two, developing crucial relationships around you where you're transparent. And you say, man, we're going to be accountable one to another. 
and we're going to force each other to overcome our weaknesses, and we're going to force our, ourselves to keep moving forward. Because one thing that I can I can promise you is that disappointment and failure and obstacles is going to be a real part of your life. But it's how you deal with those and the people that you associate with and the beliefs that you have in yourself and the faith that you have in heaven that's really going to make you want to adapt and not stay hard-hearted. And really, if there's, if there's one overlaying word that makes it possible be, to be adaptive, it's love. When you love yourself and you love God and you love the people around you and you love what you do, then you're willing to always continually grow and develop and challenge yourself to become better and better. More with Richard Thomas on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Yes, indeed. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose here on TalkZone.com. We have had a tremendous and special guest with us this morning. For those of us out of the Seattle area, it is our own University of Washington Husky, Richard Thomas, who is talking to us, and he's giving us some inspirational comments to take away. Richard, uh, as we were talking in the last segment about some of those adversities, I want to stay there in this tone, but I want to bring it on a personal home front. I know you've had some, you mentioned a little bit about your wife earlier, so help us uh, with the, the, the best you can from the heart at, at this point in time to talk to us a little bit about what's going on in your family with your wife and how are you dealing with that? And I think you even had some some adversity even last night. I mean, brother, how are you pulling this all together? What is the what is that that you you touched us, but what is that core that grabs it and ties it all together and keeps you that three strand that keeps you moving forward without breaking? Well, man, it all it all starts with love, brother. Um, I love my family. I love my life. I love what I've overcome, and most importantly, I love where I'm going. And it, it comes from a great sense of hope. That you know, no matter how dark days get, the sun is going to rise, and, and uh, that is only stimulated and set in faith. And my faith is grounded, my faith is assured. And uh, when uh, the only time we mess up in life is when we allow our faith to be uh, polluted with unbelief. And uh, yeah, you're right, man. My uh, my 19 year old daughter was driving my van last night, and got in a wreck, and you know, my mindset is this: oh, at least my daughter is fine. She's, uh, as a matter of fact, she's at a conference today, lifting her hands and worshiping God. Um, my wife, unfortunately, um, suffered an aneurysm in July, and uh, as a result of it, she uh, had a, a basal spasm stroke, and uh, God was good to us, has been good to us, needs to be good to us, and she began to recover and got from a place where doctors thought she'd never walk, never talk, never respond to a place walking and talking and singing and just uh, days away from coming home and, and unfortunately suffered a re-bleed and uh, now in a state where she recently come out of a coma-like state, much more alert, we're getting her up in the wheelchair every day and, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit longer of a battle, but uh, my faith stays strong, my hope is in God and, and uh, I love her the way I can love her every day and uh, I just trust the great things to come about. Richard, that brings me to another question. Having gone through all this, it must really test your faith, but also be a great example to you of what miracles are really all about. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, I, I think that every day is a test. You know, my situation, I feel the pressure of it. I feel the reality of it on a moment-by-moment basis, a day-by-day where some of us, you know, we're thankful that we don't have to go through that. But don't let life fool you. Testing every moment of every day, whether you're going to be satisfied with where you are or whether you're going to get to the next level, whether you're going to remain the example that your father left you as a father or a husband, the example that you were left, or whether you're going to become a better father, whether you're going to become a better husband. And, you know, for, for all of us, we have areas where we've lacked and where we failed. And are we going to be push ourselves to become better, or are we going to be okay with the legacy that was taught us? Well, I think that we all have a responsibility to push on. And so in my task, my goal is every day to wake up with an attitude of gratefulness, and I 
excited about having three amazing kids, my wife, um, my life, and, and uh, where we're headed. The opportunity to inspire through our, our motivational speaking and workshops. And, you know, even now, it's going to the next level where we're coaching on the champion developing where we're going to even encourage other communicators and, and getting into the scene. So, you know, I think that having the test in front of me every day, it's kind of been like a game week. You know, I, uh, I get a, I get to know what I'm working for. Well, I'm getting, to, I'm working to get my wife better. I'm working to get my kids into college. I'm working to help my son reach his goals of becoming uh, a quarterback and so forth and so on. So having those tests in front of me says, okay, that's a, that's a very clear obstacle. Now, what am I going to do about it? And, uh, that afforded me the opportunity to, uh, make decisions like I made in college, which is nothing that's going to break me, nothing that's going to overcome me. Um, I was made for this moment. And I believe that all of us, like Esther, were born for such a time as this to, uh, to make a legacy on the earth. Richard, uh, I want to throw this question at you again, and it's on, again, putting you on the spot. This is how I interview, so work with me here. I want people to know that we didn't script anything. It is all natural, and it flows that way, and we are speaking yeah. from the heart. And so... Uh, you could, I don't want you to give me the dictionary definition here, but with all that you've gone through, with what you know, uh, from your all through life, from childhood until now, and what you're dealing with, dealing with your wife, if I ask you to define the word adversity and its purpose, what would you say? I would say at this moment a gift. And, uh, the reason that I would say a gift is because it was good for us that we suffered this light affliction into the weight of his eternal glory. And when I say eternal glory, I don't mean something that is, you know, pavement in heaven of, of, of gold, which I look forward to that. I, I look forward to a, a day when we live in some wonderful dimension of heaven. But I'm talking about the weight of his glory today. And every day I feel thankful for the life that I have. And uh, if, if you were to ask me what adversity is, that's what I would say. It's a reminder of how good we really have it. You know, the, uh, the darkness is there so that when the light comes on, we appreciate the light. You know, we don't have to grope and feel our way through it. Well, at times in my life, I feel like I'm groping and feeling my way through the darkness. But I know that the light is coming. And when the light comes, I'm going to see very, very clearly. Well, kind of like that with our vision. It was like that for me as a football player, man. Some days I just simply did not want to go to two days. I did not want to wake up. I wanted to lay in my bed and eat popcorn all day. But I went through the pain and I went through the hardship. Why? Because I knew that it would make me a champion. And so today I'd say yes. You know, no, I don't know if that could be in anybody's dictionary. But I think that if people look at their obstacles as, as an opportunity, then uh, it transforms and changes everything in their life. Now, one opportunity, Richard, that you also had the opportunity, I use that word again, to take part in, that has really inspired a lot of people, and at the time you did not probably know that, is a little thing called the Whammy in Miami. Yeah, tell baby. me, Tell me how being a part of something like that has affected your whole life. Uh, well, you know, I think that it definitely is a, is a calling card for greatness. You know, I mean, a moment like that can change your life forever. And uh, I think that where people fail in life is they don't prepare for their moment. Well, that's definitely a calling card for me. It's a moment in my life that defines me for as who I am, you know. And I think that that, that moment comes for, for people in, in different times and different situations. For somebody, it might be their moment at the kitchen counter where they decide, you know what, in our household, we're going to stand up for integrity and character. And it changes that young person's life forever where they say, you know what, I'm not going to be wishy-washy about the decisions I make. Black and white, I'm going to have morality, I'm going to have character, I'm going to do the right thing at the right time all the time. Well, for me, that's what it became. And, uh, you know, it was it was a situation that was really birthed out of my freshman year. Um, they were picking people to uh, go to watch the Nebraska game, and I had a hit pointer. And uh, so it's one of the only games, even as a freshman, that I stayed home. And I had to watch that game on television. And the UW went into Nebraska is, is you know, the world uncertain if we were going to be national champions that year. And uh, they absolutely put it on them. And the crowd went silent. And uh, a couple players, Bean O'Brien and Jay Barry and, and Billy Joe Hobart, and they, of course, had amazing defense, took the breath out of the stadium. And uh, I really, that, that became my favorite moments as a, as a Husky 
was going into other people's stadiums and bringing the silence. And so as the Whammy and Miami kicked off, you know, the day before, we were having uh, walkthroughs and the uh, Hurricanes came in fully dressed and with a chant, hit or be hit. And uh, Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis, they're all interrupting our games and all interrupting our practices. And, you know, they had us pretty mesmerized. It was it was no wonder they had the longest win streak because they were just flat-out intimidating. And they put it on us in the first half. And then to come out of halftime and uh, be able to catch that screen pass that went 78 yards for the touchdown really defined me. And it was burst out of my understanding that I would be in the right position at the right time, work my gift, and everybody around me would flow and give everything they had for our success and, and uh, change the momentum of the game. That's an amazing story, and I've got to ask you, uh, you had a chance to visit with Ray Lewis up close, and then... Too up close. <laughs> <laughs> And then, that's, I'm sure a lot of people can identify identify with that, Richard. Um, but then you had the opportunity a little bit later on in your football career to play one year with the Baltimore Ravens. Well, I did. Con- contrast those two experience, experiences for us in our remaining moments. Well, Ray Lewis from day one has been a phenomenal human being. You know, he uh, certainly, like any, any warrior, had his ups and downs in life, but in day one, Ray Lewis will light the room up, and he'll encourage and motivate anybody around him, um, from uh, the, the greatest preacher in the in the world to uh, the three year old. They're gonna get they're gonna get lit up and excited around Ray Lewis. And uh, I remember my first kind of day in, in Baltimore. Here he is, this hundred million dollar man. I think picked in the second round or whatever he was. He was there. He was the main guy for Baltimore with with Jonathan. And uh, here I am, just this guy that they picked up. Um, last moment uh, to come be a be a Raven, and uh, you know we're we're eyeball to eyeball, and we're at it. And I had a lot of fun, obviously, reminding him of his chant, "Hit or be hit," and ask him, "Now was it once or twice they carried you off the field?" I can't really recall. Was it with the rock or, or would they carry you off by yourself? You know, so those kind of fun things. So we would we would get at it. I was a fullback, and uh, obviously one of the greatest linebackers of all time, if not the greatest football player of all time on the other side of the ball against me. And, man, I couldn't help myself. I talked smack every time I could. And uh, one day in practice, uh, Benny Thompson, who was a great safety, um, said, man, you just can't block that guy. And uh, I said, I bet you I can't. And uh, they, uh, I remember the coach coming up to me and saying, man, listen, you are you are cutting and holding and scratching and clawing against our $100 million man, and you're about a $100 man. <laughs> and I said, okay, <laughs> brother, you put me in the box with anything, I'm going to fight. <laughs> and uh, some great, great memories with one of the greatest guys. Not just, I- I'm very excited for Ray Lewis's next season in his life um, because whatever he does, he's going to put his full heart into it, and, and he'll absolutely change lives. He'll be, he'll be the Hall of Fame motivational speaker, the Hall of Fame father. He'll be the Hall of Fame everything he does because he understands that it's seed time and harvest time. What you put in, you're going to get out. And when it comes hey, to Ri- football or what's that? Richard, I, I, Richard, I got to ask this question. I know it just popped into my head. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but oh, I hope good. when you were, I hope when you were blocking Ray Lewis after that practice, he at least took you out to dinner, dinner for a little uh, nourishment or did, he or did, did something man. extra for you. Absolutely. Betty actually owed me a few dollars for being able to do it. He said he didn't want to pay up because I was old. And I said, man, that wasn't <laughs> part of the fact. <laughs> all, right, all right. With our remaining moments, Richard, what is the message you want to pass on to our listeners this morning? I would say that this is that we are, we are all born to be champions. And we have to obviously work our tails off to get it. Um, we have to fight every moment of every day to uh, develop who we were born to be. Uh, but each one of us can be a champion. And when I talk about champion, I'm not just talking about somebody that wins a competitive event or somebody who competes on a daily basis, and that's how they're recognized as a champion. But the highest calling and the highest gift that we can have as a champion is really the third definition, which is to be an advocate for other people. And I think that as long as we understand that our success is not only for ourselves, it's for other people as well, and leaving that legacy that Zeke is talking about impacting the world around us, then God... God himself 
is excited about our success. But when we make our success about being just about us and, 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 and just about what we can accomplish, then we really never become a champion at all. And so if there's one thing that I could, could say, um, I want to encourage your listening audience to understand is that there is a motivation with a purpose or for a purpose. And, and really that motivation is supposed to drive us to become our best selves so that we can become a multiplying seed that we can plant the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and the wisdom that we gain through our own struggles in the lives of others and duplicate ourselves as champions. Richard, uh, this is Zeke here. And yes, what we, we, we want to do before I'm going to turn over to Rich in a little bit more, but before we go, brother, we want to lock arms with you here and pray for you and your family. And Thank we want to pray for some of the adversities you're dealing with with your wife and so forth. Can we do that for you? It would be a blessing. I appreciate that. Father God, we thank you so much for bringing Richard Thomas on our show today and being such an inspiration. Father, more importantly for, even though we talked about a lot of difficulties and adversities, Lord, he has given us an opportunity to laugh and to share a moment with him of his football career and some wonderful stories. And Father, only you are the God that can blend difficulties and adversities in the moment of, of laughter and joy and fun. And now, when we are locked up in you, Father, joy is eternal. It's not a temporal happiness. So we have... Ask, Lord, that you will bless the Thomas family. You will bless Richard to be the man that he needs to be to stand strong, Lord, to be a pillar, a tower that his family looks to. And his wife will find that joy of saying, you know what, I know the man that I have that wants to stand next to me amidst all of my, in my illness, Father. That his daughter and his children will, will say, Lord, we love our father. We love that he wants to stand to be a man that is uh, authentic in, the man, in his manhood for who he is, for who he, he says he is, and how he acts. And we pray, Lord, that you will give Richard the strength and the power to live that victoriously in all that he does. Father, let him know that nothing is beyond your power and that you are, you have your hands in everything and you allow things to happen. Sure enough, as he says, Father, to, so that our adversities are really gifts and they're going to transform and mature us and our trials will be that much more evident in, in terms of how it's developed us into the people you want us to be. So we pray for the Thomas family. We pray for Richard. Give him success in his career in all that he touches, Lord, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Join us next week for another exciting edition of Motivation with a Purpose right here on Talk Zone.